This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker. I first met our next guest, Jo, when she was about 12 and she was a new year seven entering youth group for the first time. And I was one of the leaders of the junior group that she was in. Well, she is not a a young year seven anymore. She's a mum with kids and living in South Africa. We caught up for this chat over Zoom towards the end of 2020. And the lockdown in South Africa had been quite strict, actually. There was not a lot that people were allowed to do outside of their homes for quite some time. So Jo has some really helpful things to say about motherhood during this time and the weariness of living with COVID and she has some things that I think are quite profound. I'm sort of whispering because she probably won't want me to use that word but I think they're quite profound about the place of prayer in caring for others practically um, and also just in general some lessons and blessings that have come out of this time of COVID. So I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Joe, welcome to the Lydia Project. It is lovely to be chatting with you. What time is it where you are? 10 to 2 in the afternoon. Excellent. Well, it's nearing on, yes, 10 to 10 p.m. at night here. I'm keen to talk about what life is like for you now, but first, can we just start by hearing how you came to put your faith in Jesus? Yeah, it's a story that many people have, which is I was brought up in a Christian family and I cannot remember a time when I didn't put my trust in Jesus. Not that there weren't times when I was worried. I remember hearing that verse, you know, many will say, Lord, Lord, but I will say I never knew. I remember as a little kid hearing that verse and saying to my mum, oh my goodness, do I, am I really, how do I know? and her sitting and praying with me but I already had my trust in him I don't know so then my life has just been a series of God using moments like that to help me to understand maybe what I'd already known in part but as life happens I guess it unfolds the truth from different perspectives. And you actually grew up as a minister's kid didn't you? I know this because your dad's one of my favorite ministers <laughs> because my story of coming to faith is actually at St Clement's the church that he was a minister at. Did that sort of affect your faith at all or is it was it just so normal and so much part of your life? Yeah you don't know any anything else there's no other childhood that I had. I think it showed me maybe sooner than some of my peers, what it meant to follow Jesus in terms of being faithful, you know, turning up to things, caring about how church on a Sunday was going, not just was I getting something out of it, but looking looking around the room, checking that everyone, is everyone engaged? Who's here? Who's not here? How's it going? You know, and so I think that stuff becomes part of your walk from a very early part of your life 
The upside is, of course, that they are hopefully marks of maturity. The downside is that you can conflate your church experience with that sense of responsibility that actually isn't yours, that belongs to God. So, you know, how can I sit in a service as an adult and actually allow the word to just come and I can soak and enjoy it rather than feeling constantly responsible for things that are happening, even though it's not even, you know, something that I'm running, whatever it is. So so how have you reconciled that as an adult? <laughs> uh, I think it's a work in progress, to be honest. <laughs> it's taken me a long time to even recognise that that wasn't normal for other people. Yeah, I think we, we spent a lot of time in church trying to encourage people to to be switched on in those ways and to realize actually I need to switch off in some of those ways. I, I need to do the opposite of what we are encouraging people to do, not because I need to start thinking about me more, but actually I need to start thinking about God more in the moment of being in church and less about how everyone else around me is going. So being conscious of that, praying towards it as we head to church trying to use things in the service to just remind myself, no, stop, pause, focus on what we're doing, forget that person for the moment. We can talk to them later. Yeah. Because it is so easy to be distracted by good things at church, isn't it? I mean, I can get distracted by someone's new haircut, you know, like we can get distracted by stupid stuff, but we can get distracted by, oh, I need to ask that person how that was. Oh, and I prayed for that last week. When actually, yeah, our relationship with God and hearing his word is actually more important than that, isn't it, in that moment? Yeah, that's right. And so having us, you know, do I just write that down in my notebook so I remember it for after the service or quickly pray about it and then focus back in and have something to kind of move you on from the haircut or whatever <laughs> it is? Hopefully very quickly from the haircut. <laughs> 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 You are now in South Africa and you obviously grew up in Sydney. How yes. did you end up in South Africa, Joe? That is a great question. I went to the dentist the other day for the first time since I moved here, which is six and a half years. When I showed the lady my Australian driver's license, because I'm still not any kind of permanent resident here, um, she said, oh, you're from Australia. Are you stuck here? <laughs> <laughs> she was referring to COVID. That's an interesting question. I, I live in Durban, which is not a super well-known city, but it's coastal on the East Coast. People live here for the lifestyle. Joburg is more of the pumping city and Cape Town, well, Cape Town is beautiful and the most kind of Western city here. Did you want a summary of all the South African cities? And then, sure. so I got here, I guess I'm saying is it's not really the, the city you would naturally think of when you think of coming to South Africa. It's kind of the Perth of South Africa. Yeah, I was at Bible College in Sydney where I was studying and that's where I met my South African husband. We did not get together for the entire length of my studies. So it was only at the end of my fourth year and his third year that we actually had a conversation. And I don't know you, what you know about South Africans coming to Australia, but there is a fairly strong current moving in that direction. And his resolution in coming to college in Sydney was, I am returning to South Africa. So when we started dating, he, he was 
you know, clear from the outset that his intention was to be equipped to come back. So that was part of the decision for me was would I be willing to return with him or not? Apparently I was. Yeah, that's a pretty full-on decision to be making at the beginning of a relationship, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And before you met Ryan, what sort of ministry were you thinking you might end up in after college? Oh, that's an interesting question. I went to college out of a high school chaplaincy position. I kind of been high school teaching and then went into the chaplaincy department within the school. So that was at the beginning of college, but towards, I guess I'd shifted towards university work while I was there. There are a number of things about university work that really appeal to me. And so I had envisaged doing that kind of thing, yeah. Right. And then you met Brian and plans mm. shifted a little. And what would we say now? We would say you pivoted <laughs> <laughs> from uni ministry to South Africa. And so... I have yeah. universities here too, though. So. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. You're in South Africa and you've got... Well, now tell me first, what did you do when you got to South Africa? I did university work. <laughs> well, I panicked. Oh, you mean, you mean like in terms of work? Um, so I, I'm actually not officially allowed to work here. So I'm on a temporary uh, spousal visa. I'm on my like third or fourth renewal of that exciting piece of documentation. Isn't um, that weird so that even though you're married, it's temporary? Yeah, you have to be married for five Africa. years. And we weren't, you know, we weren't in any kind of cohabitation situation before we got married. So the five years started when we got married and that takes a while to accrue. And then the processing, I, I applied for it last year, but the processing takes three to four years. And believe it or not, COVID has possibly set back that deadline. So it'll be a, it'll be a little while. <laughs> so the, the, the point is... I couldn't earn money. I work here as a volunteer if I do anything, just in case anyone. Yes, to know okay. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Don't want to get in trouble here. <laughs> um, I did that for a year, but I also fell pregnant very early on in our married life. So I spent a lot of that year walking around campus with an ever growing belly, trying to figure out what on earth the following year would look like. Yeah, the year after I had finished college, I actually had taken a job in Melbourne, did university work there for a year and then came here and did that. So I was already, I was thinking, I felt like I'd shifted once and I've shifted to South Africa and I'm doing university work, but now I'm pregnant. So what's going to happen is I'm going to still meet up with people and I'll just strap the baby on and we'll keep going. <laughs> that was the plan. And Joe, tell me, how did that go? <laughs> Oh, it was dreadful. I realised one day, I hate this. I feel like I am, I feel like I'm treating this child like an inconvenience. Like, you know, I need to, and the logistics involved to get onto campus for a couple of hours in terms of getting her all ready to hand over to someone to then get to campus to then da, 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 to be totally not that present and then leave and then pick her up and we had one car at the time you know not really public transport options so it was dreadful and I remember thinking I have to change the way that I'm dealing with this God's given me this little person I wasn't someone who craved to have a little 
maybe I was always terrified because it looked like so much hard work. <laughs> so to have this little person think God's given me this little girl and I need to think differently about how I'm going to love her and treat her. Not that I was doing, trying to do full-time work on campus. It was only, I was really only trying to get there one, one day a week, do a couple of one-to-ones, maybe make the main meeting. But even that, for me, it was more than... And what was Ryan doing for a job during this time? He is also doing university work. So he had intended to do kind of part-time between church and university, but the university ministry was really kind of atrophying. And so we realised that someone needed to come on and be a full-time kind of director. And so he was doing that, which was really nice, actually, coming to a new country, which is pretty different. And to then, and the university, so in Durban, a vast majority of population are Zulu students or international students, which always in Australia feels like they've got to be from really far away, but they might be international from like Zimbabwe. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I'm encountering a whole lot of different cultures and feeling like, do I have anything to offer? You know, do people really want to connect with me? I just look like, you know, someone they don't really want to necessarily connect with. So having Ryan there was really great and we could kind of work alongside, but we could also, I guess, make some of those decisions together because he could see you know what was happening and also reassure me that that wasn't necessarily a bad thing to pull back the university work yeah what does that look like I I can only conceive of it in terms of my Australian experience what's it like in South Africa it's funny because it was planted by people who'd actually gone and observed a lot of the stuff that was happening at UNSW in the 90s so funnily enough, Which actually, totally I was at UNSW in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s. So yeah. it was funny kind of walking going, oh, I know, you know, it's called The Bible Talks. That is the name of the organisation still. You know, and so a lot of the things that were happening, there was a main meeting with a sermon, there were Bible studies, there was a time for equipping leaders during the week. But of course, all those things will look different in a different context. So even though those things were happening, yeah, happening in a very different way and obviously one-to-ones, yeah, also part of that. And the culture of university life in Durban, is that different to Sydney? <sighs> yeah, yes and no, hey. It's, it's funny, you know, students seem to, wherever we are, and look, I was a tertiary student for 10 years, you know, we always feel like, we're so busy. <laughs> We're so tired. And there are millions of assessments and it's hard to get to a meeting or, you know, to commit to a, you know, so it seems like the same problem everywhere. Um, getting people to kind of reprioritize and lock stuff in. And so in that sense, some of the struggles are the same, but yeah, they're obviously huge I guess in every place you've got different challenges that come from whatever family you are from or from whatever cultural group you're from. And so we kind of deal with different kinds of questions, some, some similar and some really different. And we talk a lot more about spiritual warfare. Yeah. Those kinds of things that, you know, on a campus in Melbourne, 
is not really a concern for me, many of the students. Now, does that all sort of feel like a long time ago? Like you've been yeah, out does. of that kind of life for yeah. how many years? Like five years now? Yeah, or? that was 2014, I think. Tell me about your life now. What does it look like? It's such a hard question, Tori, because this has been such a weird year. I know. You know. What does my life look like now is really different to what it should have looked like if we had been talking in January. So we have two kids and that really does shape a lot of my life right now. And I think that's been a big challenge coming to terms with the fact that, you know, when someone says, what ministry are you doing? And like, well, learning to say the ministry I'm doing is loving two small people and doing whatever I can and feeling very frail and human as I do it to teach them about God and his world and what it looks like to live in it. You know, that's, that's my ministry at the moment. And to really believe that that's a valid answer. It's so easy to drop in. Oh, but I do organize music for things and I do mentor one person and I do just to help people to understand that you have other dimensions to you. And you know, that's helpful in some ways. In this context, most people only know me as a married woman with kids. When I arrived here, I'd only been married for two months. People met me as a married woman. I, I was well into my 30s. It was the strangest thing to have people think of me as a married person. So, I, you know, you want to let people know that there are other things to you apart from being a mum. Even saying that now feels weird to say I'm a mum. But to believe that the whatever, I, whatever title you give me, the ministry that I'm doing is that which I like what I've just described with these little people and that that is the most valuable thing I can be doing with my time. I have to keep reminding myself of that and not looking for, for gaps to do other more worthwhile things, if that makes sense. Totally. From, <laughs> from the way you've described it, but also from experience. And it's just not very rewarding some days, is it? You know, it doesn't get the bunch of flowers at the end of the talk or it doesn't get the the promotion or the, you know, like there's just... Or even anyone saying you did that well because if yeah. you make the day with tears and mess, there is mm. absolutely no evidence of a job well done. Except that you've Especially got to go to your own wake tears, up you know? and do it again tomorrow. <laughs> absolutely. But it is, I mean, it's such a good reminder. It is so valuable and no matter what we're doing, whether we're devoting a lot of time to that or doing a lot of other stuff, be it ministry mm. stuff or, or secular stuff, as mums, I do agree with you that it is the most valuable thing. It's the most important thing. So, yes, this year, a crazy year, South Africa, it's been quite hard. I know mm. this because my podcast co-host is from South Africa and has ah, lots of friends and family in South Africa. So, there's yes, there's quite a few links for the Lydia oh. Project, actually. So, yeah, it's been quite hard. The lockdowns have been quite firm, haven't they? And you haven't been able to even exercise and things that we've uh -huh. been able to do. So what's, what's it up to right now? We're at level one at the moment, which is the lowest level. And for all, if you walk down the street, probably the only difference you would see that some people have masks in varying states of kind of position. So mostly on the chin, but... <laughs> But there are, yeah, and schools, obviously, to enter a building. If, you, if you're going to go to an event, you suddenly realise it's still happening because there are people shooting you in the head with a thermometer and spraying you and 
church feels different. So we've been back for about six weeks, maybe. I could have made up that number, but the kids only started like after that because we had to work out how to have church and with children. So I don't know. I don't know. It just, it's bizarre. Everyone's spaced out in the building. We've started two services just to try and get everyone who comes to a morning service to be able to get to a service. That feels strange. Um, A sense of how do you create a sense of identity as a congregation when you may not make the same service time every week and that's not because of you. It might just be because you missed the sign up, you know, for in terms of capacity, all those kinds of things. So I don't know. This year, how do you encapsulate it? We are weary, but it feels like we are weary from nothing. You know, what's happened? Nothing's happened. We've all stayed at home. We've not done anything. You can't list the things that have made you weary. It's all that mental work. It's that constant adapting. It's the anticipating what's happening. It's navigating the differences between how you've handled it and someone else has handled it and the way that that's put strain on relationships socially or within the church, you know, different groups are organizing things in different ways what is a godly response how do we you know obey the government different people have different views on this and so i think all of that relational emotional mental strain is where the energy has gone but again it's like having kids there's no evidence of anything having happened and yet you feel very tired and so i i don't know it's very hard to summarize (laughs) it is usually the end so are you sort of ramping up to the end of the year well, yes, although the weird thing is, yeah. so with university work, so my husband is still doing university work because stuff like access to Wi-Fi, internet, data, like affording data is fairly challenging for a number of students. Universities haven't just been able to go online and continue. There have been lots of delays in terms of starting semesters and semesters so semester two they are working very very hard to have it finish before christmas but it may not semester two may actually end next year and then some brief amount of a break and then semester one 2020 you might start so it's very strange because even that those things aren't locked in and mentally and emotionally yes you desperately want that break now and for staff to regroup and all of those kinds of things, yeah. Oh, I would find that stressful not knowing that it might not finish before Christmas or might finish after. That seems really late for that decision to be made. Yes, well, even now, I mean, normally, normally they've finished their exams. So normally we are in the, you know, the staff can get together and do all the admin that is lagging reports and funding and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they're just having to keep plugging away and keep encouraging very tired students. You know, students are always tired, add COVID to the mix. That's been the other challenge with students. We can't just have a whole lot of Zoom meetings for the university group. Most of it's happened over WhatsApp, a lot of it with voice notes, written messages. So they'll run a prayer meeting in a WhatsApp group and people will send a voice note, prayer, or you run a one-to-one again by sending messages. So you you still book in the time, but you're messaging each other for an hour. The interesting thing is they shifted so they realised, okay, we can't do any main meetings really, although they've been posting as much stuff on YouTube for people who have access. 
but they've just gone, we're going to focus on one-to-one -one discipleship. That's going to be our aim. We're going to get all our apprentices, everyone just really pushing into that. And the fruit of that very slow hidden again, you know, let's must be the theme of our conversation, Tori, all this slow hidden, apparently fruitless efforts. Yeah. I remember this moment in lockdown saying to my friend, so we would walk. We've discovered in South Africa you can walk, which is really exciting. So walking with a friend, because that's how you see each other, saying there are so many people in my Bible study group that I can't do anything for. Normally you're feeling like we've got to, I've got to meet up with them. I've got to find a time to just have a coffee and connect or take a meal because it's hard or whatever and feeling the burden of needing to do that. But then realizing I'm not allowed to do any of those things, but I can pray for them. And I, I have to trust that that is the most meaningful thing I can do for them. And we know this, right? We know this when it's not COVID, that that is the most meaningful thing you can do for someone. But we are so naturally kind of inclined towards doing the thing rather than just sitting and praying for someone that it was a really helpful moment for me to realize and then articulate and then to act on. So continuing to check in with people in my Bible study group and, and just pray for them because that's all I have the capacity to do. And then thinking about how much more, I don't know, fruitful or encouraging it would be if I take that pattern into life after COVID to just to go, I don't, I really, I'm unlikely to be able to meet up with someone for coffee for a number of reasons. I'm unlikely to be able to do these other things, but I can be more faithful in my prayer for these people. And that is the most effective thing I can do for them. And to really trust that God will work through that. Maybe this sounds like just totally obvious. <laughs> I think it sounds like a real blessing from COVID actually to realise that because it's our human tendency, I think, when someone is in need, we want to help them. And yeah. that's just really arrogance to think that our help can be better than God's help and to pray is so much more useful. Thank mm. you for sharing that. That's good. And I really hope that it continues beyond COVID when life gets busy and those people are in front of you and that person's just had a baby and you want to take a meal to them. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll pray for them and take a meal to them. Yeah, I think it would also like just the hope that that will relieve some of that guilt and constant burden we can feel and some of that's right to feel, but some of it's just actually unrealistic expectations we place on ourselves and make it harder for us to stop and pray because we're also thinking there are 30 other things I should be doing. Whereas if I think my one thing, if I can just pray, if I have time to make a meal, great, but if I stop now and spend some of that time praying, that's number one. That that's one of the joys of COVID and 2020 in this very difficult year. What's been uh, one of the hardest things for you? My parents are supposed to come here in June. They try and get here every year because they still do work overseas. And they're often able to kind of make it part of a, a trip. And I don't know when I'll see them next. And that's hard. Yeah. This is when moving countries because you trust Jesus starts to really feel, you know, well, like, like what you thought it might feel like, but it, you, I'm feeling it. 
Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and your family are all over the place. Yeah. That's really hard. Yeah, look, in God's kindness, we're all in sync in terms of visiting Australia. So we were all there in December last year. So we're, we're really thankful that we got to do that last year. I can imagine, because I did imagine people in your situation quite a lot during COVID, that having young kids inside would be quite hard during a lockdown because my kids are older than yours and I remember thinking at many points, oh, my goodness, this would be 10 times as hard (laughs) with preschoolers. How did you go with that? We live in an apartment, so it's not a small apartment. It's a three-bedroom apartment. It has lovely views into trees and, and there is a garden downstairs. God really provided what we needed because if you'd asked me how it was going to be possible, I would have said it's not, um, but he really, he really did. It's all a bit of a blur, <laughs> but finding a routine is obviously part of it. I realised that I needed to get my phone out when the kids came into bed in the morning, because that's their routine, that became their routine because we weren't rushing off to school, I needed to get my phone out and read some part of the Bible or pray. And when that became, there was no natural inventing to everything. Everything you did was a decision of the will. You know, I am going to read the Bible. No one is going to, I'm not going to go to a prayer meeting or a Bible study group. I'm just going to have to decide to do this, right? And realising that that was the thing I needed to do every morning, no matter how mediocre, how blurry my vision was, I'm not a morning person at all. Rather than expecting myself to be upright, sitting in a chair, reading it, being okay to be lying in bed under the covers with a phone in front of my face. I think that really helped to shape the day every day. And I used a few set prayers as well, not just my own prayers. Also, yes, I had someone this year just talking about the importance of prayer coming out of the scriptures because your brain you're you're so dry you know after a while especially because you're not seeing people you're not getting that incidental encouragement from seeing people and having that that flow out of what you're reading from the bible having some set prayers to really lift your eyes there's nothing lifting your eyes naturally in the day such a helpful start to the day can i ask you about the set prayers that you prayed what were they I got an app from a friend, but I don't know that I would recommend it. I think they are, some of them I recognise from kind of the, and so the Book of Common Prayer, like the Australian prayer book that we kind of used growing up, that might be feeling to you, correct? Some of them I recognised from there, but some of them I didn't, and those ones were a little bit weaker. It was a, a kind of an app that gave you a morning prayer a midday prayer and an afternoon prayer and it sends you a notification to remind you it's time to pray so you know you just look at the prayer and now even though the app you wouldn't recommend there are going to be people who are listening who are thinking well what is it what's it called i don't even know if i can remember i haven't used it in the last year i got a bit frustrated so it's called daily prayer okay i might look it up (laughs) And praying the scriptures, I listened to a podcast about three or four months ago. What I got out of it was super helpful. It may well be similar to what you have. And I found it helpful for my prayers, but helpful for my Bible reading, actually. Yes. Praying out of that Bible reading because it helps me look at it in more depth. And that is to 
praise God from the passage, to confess my sin from the passage, you know, that the passage is highlighted, to thank God for something from the passage and then to pray for something that's arisen from mm. the passage. And those four I've found really helpful actually as a daily thing to do after I've read a passage or, well, not daily, as often as I read the passage. Yeah, is that similar to what you mean when you talk about I, scripture? Yeah, I guess I probably use less of a framework, but it is exactly that idea that as you read something, you think, what am I struck by uh, in terms of who God is, what he's doing in the world? Like, How can I just respond to him from what I've read in this passage? Not just think about how's this going to impact my day, but actually just think about what is it teaching me about him? How will it help me to praise him right now? Because I'm not seeing any of his glory or splendor. I'm lying in bed with really foggy eyes, you know, and and reading these beautiful images that kind of enables you to, to praise him and glorify him, gives you some language for it as opposed to, yes, God, I know you're God. Please help me today to love you. Amen. <laughs> Just adds a bit more. And Absolutely. yes, obviously, if it then, if it then kind of, causes you to reflect on something that's been going on or just highlights something that does need confessing or addressing or a challenge that might come in the day because, you know, you are looking for satisfaction in the food that you will cook because that's the highlight of the day now, you know. Actually, Lord, help me to find my satisfaction in you and receive this food as a good gift but not the thing that will bring life to my soul, yeah. What is a favourite or significant Bible verse for you at the moment? I have like an ongoing relationship with Psalm 73. I feel like it it just reflects life in the world, doesn't it? You know, so easy to see the people who don't love God uh, prospering and it's easy to think that you have kind of missed something at some point by keeping your heart pure, you know not blameless, not perfect. And then, yeah, just that turn it has where he realize he enters the sanctuary and he realizes who, who, who have I in heaven, but you earth has nothing, nothing I desire. You know, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And it is good for me to be near you. I think for me captures so much of what it is to walk each day with him, the wrestle that it is to keep walking with him and to keep seeing that that is true when so many other things want to pull you in a different direction and want to tell you that something else is true. And I love it because it, I think sometimes we can be quite mechanical in the way we talk about biblical truth and there is such warmth, relational depth, to those verses that they remind you that God is not a list of truths. He's called me into a relationship with him and, I, and I'm actually allowed to relate to him as someone who, who meets me there, you know, in the depths of my being rather than someone who kind of gives me correct things to think about life and who I am. You talked about it as if it was a bit of a wrestle, Psalm 73. Is that because... You acknowledge that the psalmist also identifies the hard experience as well of looking at people 
who seem to be prospering. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. So it is a wrestle between, I think, that the pull in so many directions are really away from God, away from trusting that he is good, his ways are good. And I think you know, we've had so many moments trying to watch a TV show at the moment, my husband and, my husband and I, and, you know, just feeling like everyone, everyone figures out what they can watch and what's helpful and whatever, but feeling like, oh, there are just so many voices, so little that we watch that really affirms what we believe is true about the world. It doesn't mean we have to turn it off, but it might mean that we will. And I just think there's so much pulling us away from him and away from trusting that he is good. So it is a wrestle, I think, to remind yourself, not just your head, but your heart, that his ways are good. So that act of remembering is a, is a discipline, even as it also helps your heart to remember and see and love him more. For me, that's a wrestle. <laughs> and Joe, what's keeping you standing firm in Christ? Yeah, it really is that morning grabbing my phone and looking at a couple of verses. It sounds um, so funny, I've got to say, when you say, it's that morning grabbing my phone because so many of my friends are saying, in the morning I need to not grab my phone. Yeah, I know. I know this is right. And I have to have the discipline. Like it feels wrong to be doing this. And I tell my kids, I'm like, I'm not looking at messages. I'm reading the Bible. And then I have to make sure that that is what I'm doing, that I'm following through on that. So it is walking with that friend. So we are still walking and talking about life together. That other friend, we are still sending those voice notes, but less often because life is getting busy again. I always think I'm going to hit some rhythm and I'll just be reading the Bible and it'll, it'll flow, you know. But realising that every day it needs to be a decision to take the moments to, you know, my day's not that regular or the moments I thought would be regular are not necessarily there to then take another opportunity to pick up the Bible. You know, if the, if the kids are asleep, actually spending 20 minutes, Ryan's really good at this. You say, let's, let's read something for 20 minutes and then we can watch TV. But if we just do something for 20 minutes, you know, like just read a Psalm or just pray about the day or read a chapter of that, book that you feel like you're never going to finish but actually if you read a chapter or two a week you will finish the book and so those little little bits have fed me and continue to feed me and realizing that that's worthwhile I, I always have this vision of it'll be this block of time and it'll be profound and it'll be you know I'll, I'll have so much time to really turn on the thoughts and instead it's these little these small bits of time recognizing them taking them valuing them and seeing that god is feeding me and sustaining me through them and that big block of time i mean you know you're going to get it it might not be until heaven yeah that's right like what you desire is a good thing that you might get snippets of and those snippets might get longer but it's good to know, isn't it, that you'll definitely get it in heaven. And I'll use I it mean, well in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to love it. <laughs> Joe. thank you so much for your time today. I know that it has come at a real cost, actually, as in it's a very precious time because you've got your kids <laughs> being looked after and you've chosen to use that time to talk to me for this podcast. And I'm sure that people listening will really appreciate your time. So 
Thank you very much. No worries, Tori. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. Hey, thanks for listening. And for those playing along at home and keen to read with me the four books that I've selected for this year to read or perhaps even just read one of them, the books that I've chosen to read and in this order are... Dark Clouds Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogop. The second one is Beautifully Distinct, Conversations with Friends on Faith, Life and Culture, um, edited by Trilla, Trillia Newbill. The third one is In His Image by Jen Wilkins. I'm sort of cheating. I've half read that one, but I'm actually going to finish reading it. That'll be good. And the last one is Need to Know by Gary Miller, which is a guide to the Christian life for a new Christian, but I'm reading it in the hope that it will help me want to share the gospel and want to share that simple gospel truth with my friends who aren't Christians, but also have read the book so that I can give it to them. I'll pop all of the titles and authors and do you need to know the publishers? You probably don't. Um, I'll pop them all in the show notes for this episode. So if you want to read any of those books, I think they're all really good. And if you want to read them, we'll have a episode chatting about them in summer form. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.